0: Pride is a blinding thing, and we we can be blinded by it. And one of the things that pride does is when we have an argument that's wrong, it doesn't listen. Look, if you believe your argument is good, you should be able to listen to Fred and hear him, hear his arguments, and counter them. Not just oh man, reject them out of hand. Because <laughs> if you reject it out of hand, it, it could be your pride speaking, not the truth speaking. Just a thought for you.
2: One, two, three. Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of Striving for Eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.
0: All right, well, welcome back. This is another edition of The Wrap Report. I'm your host, Andrew Rappaport, with my trusty colleague, Bud. Greetings! <laughs> but do you want to explain grace to you yeah grace to you is that's appropriate for today very good do do you want to explain why for those that might be watching on patreon we are wearing fedoras
2: uh it's a special day because of a special guest that we have who is occasionally known well for a number of things but (laughs) as fedora fred of grace to you fred butler Hi. Salutations
3: (laughs) to you. (laughs) How are you?
2: Good. Fred, we're
0: we're glad to have you with us. This is not unusual for you and I to be recording. We actually just recorded, you and I annually record with Echo Zoe, uh, Andy Olson, and we do his final December show every year. It's become a three-year tradition of ours. And uh, so folks may know your voice. We'll get to to giving you a more formal introduction in a, in a moment. Um, but you know what, bud, I, I, I haven't done this in a while. So we, we got some reviews that we should go over. I actually got a new tool that gives me all the different reviews from different, you know, wherever people are, you know, whether it's iTunes, we well, can't call it iTunes, Apple podcast or Google podcast or whichever. And we actually did create a, we do have a way that people can give a review. <clears throat> we at least have a, they have a new thing. It's it's lovethepodcast.com slash rap report. That's rap with two Ps. So uh, we got some reviews, though. Uh, Jada30 really? says, yeah. great information, tons of great content on a variety, variety of Christian topics. Um, TNN15 just says, good word, good biblical short encouragements. This is, uh, I think they, that was probably meant for my daily one, but they put it on the, the weekly because this one's not so short, <laughs> but uh, those both five stars. we got a, a five star from growing in truth. They say excellent, understandable, exegetical. One of the many things I appreciate about this podcast is it's exegetical and easy to understand approach to whatever is being spoken of. Andrew is very humble in his speaking and always brings the gospel to the glory of God. I was glad, Bud, that he put humble in his speaking, not just humble, you know, (laughs) because that would be a lie. Right, Fred? Yes.
3: No, do you, do you ever get hate mail? You should have one that has hate mail. Oh, this is the worst podcast ever. It was
2: a waste of an hour of my time. My bro. wife sends those comments in. That's what...
0: It, <laughs> yeah, and that's why I didn't want to read it.
2: Oh, thanks. Oh. Thanks, bro.
0: No, actually, I get the I get the actual hate mail. I, not just the, uh, you know... I, I, Fred, I don't know if you you, you probably get this... Uh, with with the ministry you're involved with, but I, I get strange things. I have, uh, I got a binder. It was a two-inch binder that was a guy claiming that this was his revelations from God, and it was just Dang. condemning everybody. Everyone was on the list of, I forget which episode we, we, I just read different clippings from it, and he was, you know, he was, Passing judgments on everyone. Hillary Clinton, Trump, and just and- Yeah, well, I
3: haven't seen those in a while. I used to go I used to get the mail a long time ago and I would pick it up for for Grace to you and do the inner office stuff from the church to the college to the ministry and there was one guy every month he would send a big package to Pastor John McCarty. And so John, <laughs> Pastor John McCarty Needed to look at this stuff because Charles of England, he was, he was never probably going to be king because his mother never dies, but he was the Antichrist. <laughs> take over the world. He had all these elaborate schemes, and I haven't seen anything from him in like a long time, so I don't know if he's died or
0: well, whatever happened. But. I always remember that my first pastor when he was at Master's Seminary, he used to have the job of of cleaning Pastor John's office. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he would tell me every day he would see a new stack of hate mail that was like one foot tall mm-hmm. and oh, a yeah, fan mail probably. that was like one or two inches tall. <clears throat> and yeah. he told me that Pastor John would read every one of those, every hate mail, he would read every one of them All right. every day. And it was like... <laughs> Man,
3: I don't know if he still does that. This time. He yeah, just
0: doesn't have time. He may now, not have but, time anymore. I mean, this was back in the eighties. So, well, let's let's get to introducing Fred here. And um Fred is Fred Butler. Is works at Grace to You. He's written a new book that we're gonna we're gonna discuss today. The Royal Deceptions, exposing the King James controversies against God's Word, is the title of his
2: conspiracies. Conspiracies. What did I say? It's controversies. controversies. Oh well. No You're okay.
0: confusing it
3: with James White's book.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, uh, there you go. Okay. Read it Yeah, again. read this again. Thank I'll you. edit
3: that out. Uh, no, don't, don't edit it that. out. That makes for good, good, <laughs> good podcast listening. Yes, that's banter. Yeah. That's good banter.
0: You want well, that. They're going to have to go to the Patreon to hear the banter. So Fred's, Fred Butler's new book, uh, Royal Deceptions, Exposing the King James Only Conspiracies. Did I just do it again? No, No, you did it right. Oh, I said it right that time. Oh, Okay.
3: Yeah, no, no. Keep on, keep this in there. Don't
0: (laughs) royal deception exposing the King
2: James only conspiracies against God's word. (laughs) That's correct. You did that, and it sounded humbly. It sounded presented too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well,
0: Fred, for the for the record, for folks that don't know, uh, and and you'll confirm this is true, Mm. I'm sure, but I don't know if Mm. you know this, Bud, but Fred Butler actually has the largest office in all of grace to you even larger than john MacArthur. he yes, does i
3: do yes i do he's let me in there once My, yeah lots of lots of tables
0: yeah he he has
3: but did you get to come did i take you on a tour of grace to you when you came i can't remember
0: actually but, we bud, yes you were on oh, okay okay when you were did you go on the you went on the tour i think even with us when we did the uh uh truth
2: truth, truth matters. matters yeah yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah we oh, did okay. and then we snuck away and got some private access yeah, maybe. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I, 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 I cannot confirm
0: or deny, even though there is video on Facebook <clears throat> somewhere of a Fred giving us a private tour through there. When I think, I, I, I think there was like, I think Jay was the only one we saw in the whole building. <laughs>
3: maybe i I thought we were completely alone if i remember yeah i think we ran into one person the night or something yeah
0: it was (laughs) there was no one there uh but but fred does have he's he's when he has a meeting there's so many people there they need multiple tables that's why he needs that very very large office yes so but fred let's let's deal with this topic the king james bible um you have written on this, and actually, this is on. This isn't the first time you're writing on this. This is no. really this book you have is is from blog articles you wrote years ago. That's uh, correct. Your, your this was I believe it was on what hip and thigh right. That's correct. Was the so it was on originally
3: on my blog when I started writing my blog. I you know you need to have blog material to write about in order to have a blog. You do, uh, but at the time I was teaching my volunteers, you know the people who fill up my office on uh, at Grace to you um, on just various topics, and that was one of them. And uh, I would obviously write out my scrawl notes, you know, to teach them. And I just started turning those into articles, and a lot of it also kind of came from uh, my interactions with, uh, on various discussion forums and email subscription groups with King James onlyists who were just insistent that, you know, I was heretical from my views and all that sort of thing. So I would interact with them and sort of cut my teeth on their arguments and uh, kind of get the feel of how they were arguing at that time that was probably in the mid 2000s so it's like almost 20 years ago <laughs> I, I then um so i'd write these articles out and i just did a series on okay these are the i remember how i used to argue and i just sort of wrote each article kind of as a as a chapter or maybe two or three articles would be sort of on one subject, like an on textual criticism of the old Testament or new Testament or whatever. And eventually um, what happened really with this book, why, you know, the, what triggered me to put this in uh, print was I had a, uh, my boss, not Phil, but a direct manager had a, had a lady who is a supporter of grace to you. And uh, she had written, to him, I think he knows her, he interacts with her or something on uh, through the ministry uh, website or whatever. And she had gotten a hold of, I think it was David Daniels, or I can't remember who it is. A guy that is sort of now overseeing uh, Jack Chick's ministries after Jack Chick died. And that guy had put together a King James uh, defense book, you know, just talking about the Bible. And she had written it and did not. You know, I didn't really have an answer for it. And so my manager asked me, hey, do you have any material or do we know of any material we can get in her hands? And the only thing I could think of in book form really was the stuff by uh, James White, which is if you're not really clued in to textual criticism. And I think his book is more of a primer on just general textual criticism of the Bible rather than just Bible versions per se. I mean, it's a fantastic book, but it is a little daunting for someone who's not really familiar with the terminology. And, uh, as I just, I didn't have anything to really give and I felt kind of bad about that. And I wanted to just put together maybe a PDF that I could print out or email to somebody or something. And, uh, I think through just my, contact with gabe hughes and uh, some other folks that i knew they were like why don't you you know you can put this stuff into a book format and have you know um i think nate pickowitz was another one just so you can have uh, amazon will you know print as you go sort of thing you need free i mean it's a little you know they even give you a little bit of a royalty whenever they sell a book and And so I started compiling those messages and those uh, articles into chapters in this book. It became sort of this book, and I added some appendices and so forth. And uh, so that's really the stated goal of my book is just to have a quick, short, concise sort of uh, reference to put in the hand of that Cindy school teacher or that youth director, or that associate pastor who has some disruptive, belligerent, um, King James only person who is you know making a nuisance of themselves in their church or giving material to people and just to have a way to answer them and to put confidence in our in the Word of God.
0: Well, That's and you even that. you even say in there that it's not just for that, but it's also for someone like where you were that you had mm-hmm. come out of this. So let's let's start with what the what is the King James only kind of view because there's there's people who I think a lot of people probably aren't familiar. Now some that are in more of the independent fundamentals Baptist churches are going to know yes. this this topic, this debate, but not everyone knows the debate. And uh just for you know here I have my Sixteen eleven. Yeah, there um, you go. I'm, I'm glad that you you and I have both matured. Okay, because because I remember.
3: We would like to think that. Huh? We,
0: yeah, but you know we we, we have, and it's. And here I have my Star Wars shirt on. You know that um, may be, but you know I remember. Andrews fedora. Yeah, Andrews <laughs> fedora. The I remember uh, it, having a guy that came to a church Sunday morning. He was promoting King James only. He said. 1611 is the only version we should use. It's the inspired version. And uh, he came, I said, but why don't you use it? I said, you know, so he said he's came back for, he was going to come back Sunday evening. So Sunday evening, I brought my trustee, 1611. And uh, I asked, I, I said to him, I said, that's, you, I said, let me see your Bible. I said, that's not a 1611. That's not your inspired Bible. That's an authorized Bible from the 1700s. I took his Bible right. and I handed him this and I made him sit through service with an actual 1611, and he could not get his Bible back fast enough because he couldn't read (laughs) the English in this because the English has changed over the 100 years of 1611 to the 1780s. Well, they have a
3: response to that claim of yours, so (laughs) there is a... a, um, I think it's, you know, look, uh, at the very start and I mentioned this in the preface of my book, I am a huge fan of the King James Bible. I think it is one of the, if not the, greatest literary work in English that we have in our possession. And in my opinion, more Americans, more youth need to be familiar with the language of the King James Bible. Um, And the reason why I say that is because the Bible, that, Translation is a good portion of it, at least eighty percent of it, is the work of William Tyndale, especially in the New Testament. And William Tyndale was the guy who is the cornerstone of the Reformation. Uh, no one else, Calvin, all of these men who followed, or we, we sort of look at as heroes, would not have really good ministries if it weren't for the work that Tyndale gave his life for in getting the Bible into English and to presiding. Just sort of a way to a a a, a model. Hey, you, you, you can translate this. He was the inspiration for Luther translating his Bible into German, getting into the hands of the German people. And the man gave us wonderful theo, theological terms like mercy seat and Passover, I and mean, we still use those terms today. All yeah. of these, all of this terminologies in the King James, and uh, I mean, in this, and he gave his life you know, so that we could have a Bible in our hands that would communicate God's revelation to us. And but at the same time, you know, just like any other man-made production, it doesn't have you know, it's not going to be absolutely perfect. And the thing with the King James only is is they're going to take that fact about it being this sort of cornerstone work of the Reformation and they're going to say, look, this is the only Bible that you can that you should read because it's the only Bible that really has the accurate word of God in it. And so if you have a modern version or if you have any other translation other than the King James, even a New King James, well then you have a an adulterated Bible. You have some sort of modern perversion. It's not a version, it's a perversion. And uh, the, again this is sort of something that does, uh, swirl in the circles of, you know, the independent fundamental Baptists, but there are reform guys that'll argue this way. Uh, you know, I come across them all the time, uh, Puritan, these Puritan lynch mob types <laughs> who are against Christmas and any images of Jesus, you know, what I'm talking about, and they're, and uh, they're going to be, Saying that this is God's word, and we need to be reading the King James or some derivative. Uh, there are some that would say, "Well, maybe we can do a little bit of a modernist a modernization of the language," but you need to keep the base text of the received text in the New Testament, um, the Bomberg uh, manuscript from the Old Testament, and so forth. And uh, that's the Bible. And if you depart from that, well, then you're sliding into heresy. And so,
0: yeah, well, what, kind of, I mean, one of the things that you brought up, I mean, most people don't even know when you, you talked earlier about the King James, there was actually not a standard English right, until the King James. And, and it's, it's like 75% of what they did in the King James translation came mm. from Tyndale. But mm. you had lots of different spellings for words and things like that. Yes. The King James actually became he, that standardized English for us. Right. And that's
3: because King James made it that way. Yeah. Uh, It wasn't because, you know, everybody got all of a sudden inspired and the Holy Spirit was moving or anything like that. It was because the political forces made that the way it was. Well, a lot of people uh, William Shakespeare at the same time. His plays help standardize a lot of that language as well. But uh,
0: let's get into what you just said there, because a lot of people don't understand that about the bible the in the historical setting there was lots of debate between the catholic church the the protestant church fighting back and forth and the bible version the state bible the, the right. bible that this that the england would use was being a battle back and forth i mean this is you're talking queen mary elizabeth king james um there was battling back and forth. Why was the King James Bible initially written? Why did that, why did King James authorize that or or, or commission that?
3: Okay, so within England... Remember, England had broken away from the Catholic Church because Henry VIII wanted to get a divorce, <laughs> and uh, they wouldn't. Well, he really wanted to now. get
0: married. He wanted again. to get well. well <laughs>
3: he wanted to get a male heir, and he couldn't get this first wife. You no, know, couldn't get it from her, so he wanted to divorce her and get a new wife. Who didn't give it to him either? I don't think. But um, his uh, he. Because of that, you had, as as Protestantism developed in England, you had within the Anglican Church, because the Anglican Church kind of came out of Henry VIII's departure from Rome. Um, you had within the Anglican Church the Puritan movement. So we're all familiar with the Puritans. The Puritans were a movement within Anglicanism to try to get Anglicanism away from Roman Catholicism, because they thought Anglicans were too still too catholic they wanted to change the book of common prayer they wanted to get rid of the vestments all of that stuff that they would part of the anglican culture because anglicanism was just sort of roman catholicism but your priests could marry i mean that was what it was and so they wanted to see some reform you know as it as the reformation continued to sweep across europe and across and, and at that time was starting to go to the colonies and so forth um They wanted to they wanted there to be reform. And but there was a big battle, like you're saying, politically between the high churchmen and the Church of England, Anglicans and the Puritan pastors who were in England. So when King James ascended the throne um, after Elizabeth's death, um, the Puritans thought, okay, well, this will be an opportunity to try to get some reforms that we were wanting to push for because he was seen as sort of friendly towards the Puritans because of his upbringing and kind of where he came from in Scotland and so forth. Uh, But that was not the case. That was not the case. He wanted to be the head of the church. He did not like the Geneva Bible that everybody sort of used anyway, uh, because it was against the divine right of Kings, in his opinion, at least the study notes were. The notes, yeah. Yeah, so when he first became, I think within a year after he ascended the throne, there was a get together of all of the various heads, heads of the various institutions there, including the Church of England and some Puritan representatives. And uh, neither one of them he really was placating, um, you know. He but he liked one of the suggestions that John Reynolds, who was a Puritan, who was there in attendance at this meeting in Hampton Court, he liked his idea of hey, let's get a new translation of the Bible, a new English translation. They had about five or six before that. And they were all sort of stuck on the Geneva Bible and King James hated it, but he loved the idea. Okay, we can do that because that way he could control what the Bible would say and how it would be presented to the people and how it'd be used in churches because he was the considered the head of the church. Like the Pope was the head of the Catholic church. He was the King of England, the head of the, the defender of the faith of the English people. And so that's what they did. It's how it kind of emerged from that. And they pulled together a group of scholars and took them, um, I think it started in 1604, if I remember right, 1603, 1604, around in that time, and um, got done in 1611. That's when they first went to print with the Bible. So you're looking at what? what is that, about eight or nine years or so of work that they did on the Old Testament getting a new translation, the Apocrypha. <laughs> Most people don't realize that the original King James had the Apocrypha in it.
0: Yeah, that's and, and that's something doesn't. that I bring up all the time with them because when they say, like, that's the thing when I ask someone that if they think that the KJV 1611 was inspired... Right, then they have a real problem because then you're saying that the Catholic Church is right because you're saying the Apocrypha is inspired. It's amazing how many of them don't know and don't know that it was put in there because King James was trying to satisfy this rift between he was he put it in there to appease Catholics, he wrote it in English to appease Protestants.
2: Yep, so the argument, the argument about it being inspired. I mean clearly history shows this is not a Holy Spirit revival motivation to do this. Right, right. This was a political compromise to bring two differing parties together under James, who as you said is the head of the church. So right. That's exactly uh, this and is the, political maneuvering. It is not revivalistic at all. Yeah, it's not yes. religious it's not a religious reason for doing it. Yeah, is, is your yeah, point.
3: Exactly. And so the problem with the King James only is is they're going to say They try to revise. That's part of the part of my subtitle there with conspiracies is then they create sort of this historical revisionist approach saying, well, in that God was using this and God was moving. Well, he might have been, but that was not the point of the Bible. Did God use the King James Bible? Well, of course, I'm not. No Mm. one's debating that, that. That's God using his revelation, not God using a particular favored translation that reads a certain way and uh it just they, they'll create a whole alternative history of how we got our bible um because you know they they have problems like that and you know they have the english we were talking earlier about the standardized language what a standardized english standardized english didn't come around into another hundred years or so after the king james was published so they started changing the letter shapes and uh, the spelling of words, and that was beginning to become standardized spelling, and all that sort of stuff. And they saw the, you know, when they they started doing that, well, the King James Onlyists will say, well, here you you see God working through and you know purifying the purifying the language so that we could have this. It doesn't change the meaning of the text or anything like that. So they'll find up they'll find excuses in order to explain away some of these. Problems that we're talking about here, and create an entirely different, you know, uh, history of our Bible. that's just not factual. That's the problem.
0: Well, let me see if let me see if we could. Uh, I want to play a video clip. You mentioned Gabe Hughes, and this is you know basically setting the scene for us in really a minute and thirty seconds. So let me just play this. And this was you know Bud sent this to me to play. So. And he's got one other that we'll play later. And I'm sorry, I just apologize now for it, for what we'll play later. But here's here's Gabe Hughes on King James (laughs) Onlyism.
1: What? King James onlyism is the belief that the 1611 King James version of the Bible is the only divinely authorized English translation while modern translations corrupt the Bible. It's not just a deception, it's a satanic conspiracy against the word of God. The most glaring flaw with this doctrine is not one verse in the Bible supports it, and that's pretty much it. It's a false doctrine. Now, if someone wants to use the King James Bible, that's fine if you can understand it, but to say it's the only translation God approved is a lie. King James Onlyus argue the KJV is translated from the majority text, while modern versions are from corrupt Alexandrian text. But the Byzantine texts used by King James translators were no older than the 11th century. We now have access to older and more reliable texts closer to the originals. King James Onlyus say modern translations removed references to Christ's lordship and deleted entire Bible verses. But the Byzantine text added these verses to the original text and the extra references to Christ's lordship. It's just extra pious language from some overly ambitious Describes scribes. King James only as say the 1611 authorized version is the only true Bible. Unless
4: you have a King James Bible, you don't have a Bible. You need a King James 1611
1: authorized version. Actually no one uses the 1611 which also included the Apocrypha. Today's King James Bible is the 1769 revision. God has preserved His Word which we have in some very good translations of the Bible. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away but my word will never pass away when we understand the text.
0: Okay, so that is was provided uh, with Gabe Hughes. I mean, his what videos are great. I mean, it just yeah, that's right. Hammers at home pretty quickly, um, but that sets the stage for us, right? I mean, that tells us what what these issues are, right? Because we're you know this is this is for some may think Fred that this is not a big deal, uh, they because they're not uh, they haven't been dealing with this controversy, so you have dealt with it. You talk about your confession. Just briefly, could you give your background before we get into the arguments? And and for folks who want to get a copy of your book, Royal Deceptions, I have a link in the show notes, so just look there. But for folks that want to understand you and why you're speaking to it, can you give a little bit of your background?
3: Okay, so yeah, when I was first brand new believer, I was a part of a solid church and uh, they had a high view of the Bible, of course. And I, in fact, it was a Southern Baptist church. And at the time it's going through this, its own turmoil, much more, (laughs) not as much as it is today. But at the time there was a whole inerrancy debate. So it's like, okay, you know, is the scriptures inerrant is, are they trustworthy? That sort of thing. Well, I was obviously on the inerrant trustworthy side. And so I had a friend that would get us all together on uh, the weekends or whenever it was convenient. And being a single young college kid, uh, I, you know, didn't have was always looking for something to do on a weekend. And I got saved, and I was excited about my faith and all that. I would go over to his house. We'd have Bible studies. We'd pray. We'd do some street evangelism. Um we probably were terrible at it, but, you know, we had a lot of zealous <laughs> <laughs> desire. And, uh, they, and like all of us when we started at doing oh, that. Uh, yes, exactly. Thou shalt repent. Thou yes, thou that's what I know. And uh, it was, it was, so we would, uh, uh, when we met together, my friend would oftentimes have books that he would hand out. Well, really, he would sell them to us, so I'd have to pay five bucks for a book. But um, he had a book um, this one time from this guy. He was a pastor in Oklahoma. So the guy's name, Gary Flint, was the pastor. I don't even know if he's still alive today, but he had written a book, probably self-published like myself, uh, on defending the King James. And when I read it, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I I just like he was showing me comparisons with other Bibles, and I'm like, yeah, I could definitely see how the enemy would want to distort God's word and all that sort of thing. He had... Um, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, they had a couple chapters written by, uh, uh, talking about problem passages. And the one guy he used was a guy uh, was a physician in New Zealand. And, um, he was giving solutions to problem passages, which I think are legit in some cases, but it was using the King James instead of using the King James text, instead of, going and appealing to the whole idea of copyist errors and all that sort of thing. Well, these number discrepancies in these two similar passages is, you know, caused by, you know, copyist errors or something is what my Ryrie study Bible would say. And this guy would give solutions to these numbers that I thought were brilliant. I was like, wow, that's great. I never thought about it that way. So I was so moved by this fella that I went to, um, uh, I called him up and, and I found his number and everything and, uh, talked with him and he gave me some more resources. So then I went to the, uh, you know, to the various catalogs, find, trying to find phone numbers at that time. He didn't have an internet, you know, to search this stuff. And so I had found like David clouds, um, you know, ministry contact information, or I would find, uh, in the, from the various libraries that I could find his stuff from, uh, peter ruckman stuff and i would subscribe to their magazines or i would get their books or whatever uh studying on on this whole topic of king james onlyism so i had individuals like ruckman and d.a weight and david cloud and uh edward hills all of these various people give me um information about how to defend the king james and that's what i grew up on that's what i that's what really um got me thinking about the word of God. It was this King James Onlyism stuff. I had no real, you know, anyone really pouring their life into my, into me in any meaningful fashion. Um, I had uh, sweet pastors that were at my church, but I just don't think they really had the sophistication. As I mentioned in my book to um, deal with my arguments. Uh, in fact, it was one time we had, uh, I was, I became such a belligerent pest at my church you know in my in my college department over over this issue because i was like look guys we, we need to be reading the word of god not these trashy bibles that have corrupted scripture and all this other stuff you know and uh they, they, they allowed us to have a debate. So it was me and, um, another guy who was a King James and Leas, that I, one of my, one of my disciples, I guess. And, um, a couple of other guys who knew that I was wrong, but they couldn't
0: really argue against me. They they were not prepared. So even, even came. when you're wrong, you're an excellent debater and apologist. I
3: know, <laughs> I know, I know. Isn't that great? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that could work against you big time. Um, and I, we shellacked those guys. I mean, and, and it caused even more confusion in my youth group, in my, my college department, because now you have people coming to me going, I never saw this before. So I had everybody running to their King James mm. to use their King James Bibles and throwing away their NIVs and all this other stuff. So I'm basically causing this, this disruptive rift. In my Sunday school class, and, you know, and my pastors, because they're these squishy Southern Baptist guys and want to be nice all the time, they wouldn't sh- call me out on it. They should. I mean, if it was going on right now in my church, if I was a pastor, I'd shut it down. It's like, we're not going to, we don't, this is not what we believe about Scripture. You need to stop.
0: Yeah, and, and, and they didn't do that. And, I think that's what you just said there is important for us, because you put this in the in your book, is you wished that they would have, and this is why we we should Correct, error Instead of being squishy about things, because people end up going astray. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, there is a reason for it. Now, before we get into, you you have six arguments that I want to get you to go through. Uh, but before we do, and I'm just going to let you know, this is Bud's fault, okay? <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm, oh just, no. I'm just saying, I'm sorry, after, after this about two and a half minutes, you can't get these two and a half minutes back. But... <laughs> But this is, this two and a half minutes is, is for you, uh, Fred, but, but really oh, what it is, is this sets the stage of what it is you're actually arguing against, and this is someone that is going to sing the King James Bible song, right? He we,
3: looks like he's a reform guy. <laughs>
0: yeah, with the, with the beard.
3: beard.
0: You'd think that this is going to be, um, you know, like in, in church we sing songs to God, Uh, Well, okay, in in modern churches, we sing songs to self uh, Mm -hmm. or or to God about ourselves, but this is a song about a Bible. And and this really, it is two and a half minutes, but it does lay out the view that these people have and a view you used to hold. So give a listen.
4: Hope I can do it justice. I went down to the bookstore just the other day. I went to buy a Bible, for I had just been saved. When I asked to see a Bible, I could not understand. They had a shelf full, ten foot long, each one a different brand. They had the ASV, the RSV, good news for modern man, and every other version that's made to just please man. I had the living Bible and the brand new NIV, and I soon found out the devil is the one who started these. I took an ASV to church, the preacher preached from Psalms, when he started reading, I knew something was wrong. I knew my preacher could read, I knew he was not blind, but I soon found out that the Bible he had was a different kind. I went back to the bookstore to get my money back When I told him of my problem, he just slapped me on the back He said, son, some of these Bibles are too hard to understand. I suggest that you should try good news for modern men. I took the second version home. I said, well, I'll give it a try. When I showed it to my pastor, he said it was a lie. They'd taken the blood of Jesus out. They denied he was God on earth. They even put some cuss words in and denied the virgin birth. He told all about how these versions had come along. He took his King James Bible and he showed me where they were wrong. He said you're just a newborn babe in Christ you did not know my son that the King James Version sixteen eleven is the only one Amen. I went back a third time I was starting to get mad. I asked him if perversions were the only thing he had He reached below the counter. And what he showed me was a shame Had to blow the dust away to read the name King James So if you buy a Bible, please take my advice Only buy a King James, though others may sound nice Don't buy a living Bible or a brand new NIV Cause you'll soon find out the devil is the one who started these Amen how
3: true! How true. wow! I got goosebumps.
4: <laughs> a, it was a awesome. toe tapper.
3: Yeah, I mean it, it was. It's it, too it, bad, it, bad he didn't have a a band.
0: Well, the thing the thing that's yeah. interesting with it is, I mean, we might agree that you know some of those translations are not great yes, translations. Yeah, I would agree with
3: some of his sentiments. Is yeah, most but most translations, modern translations, are. Published by various book publishers because they want to have their own translation on which to they don't have to pay the copyrights to the other translations yeah. or whatever. Well, and produce right. their own Bibles.
0: And stuff. I think that you know, well, your church is going to go under a, a change where you're yeah, going to have I know. to you're going to I know. change to the new you know Le- Legacy Standard Bible, the legacy, the legacy Standard Bible. I have They're to say that because I, I I I can't say the L- the LSB is just going to sound like. You know the LSD oh, I Bible I just I see that coming, but I know but the the thing that I mean he there are some valid points, however, one of the things I think interesting with it is <clears throat> you listen to that, and this is a common argument that people make, well, they've taken out the deity of Christ you, you heard that even right. in the Gabe Hughes video right. and and really what it is they've added. They added the deity of Christ. Well, they, they, no, they didn't add the deity, like this thing. They've added uh, clarification. We can clarify that. Yeah. They added clarification on passages. Yes. But the thing is, is that with all of the passages, you, you take the NIV even, or any of these other translations that he say are demonic perversions, we could find the deity of Christ very clearly. Mm. We we, we can find all these doctrines that he says that these versions deny, they're there. They're just not there in the verses that the King James added it to. <laughs> right.
3: Well, we should say that the, mm. it, it kind of goes back to the history of translations and the transmission of the text, but early scribes would copy manuscripts that they would get and they would begin to see, wait a minute, this passage in Mark sounds familiar to that passage in Matthew, but it's the one in Matthew is different than the one in Mark. And so they would try to harmonize the two by adding a word or so. But usually the way that would be handled is that they would put it in the margin of the manuscript. Sometimes copyists would get it and then it would come into the actual body of the manuscript that they're copying. And eventually these various um, harmonizations and so forth would come in and would become part of the text. So you have the King James, which is translated because all of these begin to branch out all of these various copies and manuscript families and stuff. And you have the King James based upon what became known as the majority text, which is really the received text of the new Testament based upon the majority text of the new Testament. Um, because you had, and, and a lot of this is history. It's, 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 I go into it in my book. I got a big, long chapter on this, it's probably the longest chapter in the book, but you basically had the, the Eastern church, um, which was one of the last places that was able to uh, withstand, uh, Islam because they were fortressed up in the, uh, in constantinople at the time and the muslim hordes couldn't breach the walls of that place it didn't happen until much later in history but there the scribes and the monks just kept copying the same majority text manuscripts over and over and over again so what they called the byzantium or byzantine text or whatever is because that's where they originated from and eventually when the muslim hordes took over that place well, all of those scribes left and they took those manuscripts away and took them to the West as they fled from the Muslim advance. And they became part of the, you know, Roman Catholic, I mean, the Western Church, I guess you could say. But they would take those manuscripts and they were trying to protect the word of God by, mm-hmm. you know, making sure the integrity is, is uh, preserved. I mean, that was their goal. That's why they wanted to do what they were doing. They weren't. But, uh, earlier manuscripts aren't taking away it's the later manuscripts are adding to in order to clarify like what you're saying to make it look like it's oh, okay well here this is what god is meaning to say i'm want to i want to help god <laughs> so yeah i'm gonna well, add this and to we, it
0: bud and i talked about this uh in the episode about two weeks ago when we talked about textual criticism and can you trust your bible is <clears throat> that often what happens is there, you have writers that would, they would write something and yep. and the people that were making the copies would, would try to make it easier to understand sometimes. Yep. That's sometimes right. they would write something in the margin, but they didn't always know if that thing in the margin was yes. a note to self or if it was that the guy forgot to put something in and was like, oh, I forgot that I skipped the line. Let me draw right. a line over here and write it in the margin. They didn't know. So – Let's let's deal with you have six arguments in your book. The right, exclusivity right. argument, the promise argument, the textual argument, uh, the purity argument. Right? Well you you have the have heretics corrupted our Bibles argument, I guess. The purity yeah, argument. Yeah, yeah,
3: that, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The scholarship argument, historical argument. So let's right, let's right. go through each of those briefly in in the, the twenty minutes that we have and again <laughs> I wanna encourage you guys to get the book. Royal Deceptions by Fred Butler. It's available on Amazon. The link is in the show notes. It's available both in print and in uh, in the uh, Kindle version. And I will say this to encourage people to buy it right now. Those who are Patreons that you got to watch the video with the little, the 20 minutes of banter that we did before we started recording – You'll know if you watch that that Fred is coming out with a new version, a second edition to fix that's things. And so, if you want a collector's edition of this book, you want to go get the print copy now so you have. And, and then what you want to do like is the King original King James. It <laughs> has the first edition typos in it that I need to correct. Yeah, yeah, and you know that be a collector's edition. That's something people don't even think about. Like I, I bring this up. One of the reasons I got a sixteen eleven is so that I could get the prefix. In the 1611, because in the prefix to the 1611, it actually states that there will be later additions and edits to right. it. And right, right. it's like, if it was inspired, then why did, <laughs> this is the, why like, it have that yeah, I mean, that's something that I, I when, when I get someone that, you know, where I can, you know, obviously not if I'm online or something, but if I have someone that's at church or asking about it, <clears throat> I bring my 1611 out and I, I just show them, here's, here is what it says in the prefix that there would be future updates to this like okay they knew it wasn't inspired why do you think it is right. <laughs> if the guys right. that translated it don't believe it then we should't but let, let's go let's start with each one exclusivity argument what's the argument that is made for King James what's the response
3: okay so the exclusivity argument as I kind of put it here in my I'm trying to remember all of my arguments here you guys have, You're killing me here. Wait, wait, wait. Are (laughs) are
0: you saying that Bud and I who prepped for this show are better prepared than the author? I would You'd think I would know all of my stuff by heart. Uh, Um, You
3: know, basically what it's saying is that the King James alone is the word of God alone. So the idea is that if you would just like in that little song, if you're going to have a Bible that's really the word of God, well, then you'll read a King James and that's kind of their starting premise. So that means that it's the only Bible is the sola KJV. Yeah, sola KJV. So that means yeah. that the word of God is the King James only alone. That's the way they kind of argue. And, well, and I've question. heard it this
2: way,
0: Fred. I the way I, I actually heard this from a, a pastor who told me that you know the, that God has to keep his word. And therefore, he did it in the English because English is the is the is the language the international language. Greek was right, back right. then. English, and I asked him. I said, "So, what about before there was English? I mean, was the Latin inspired?" Right, because then he oh, has yeah. a problem, because that <laughs> would be Rasmus. the Catholic Church's yeah, version. Right.
3: Vulgate only.
0: Yeah, yes. and, and there was some of that, by the way, mm-hmm. but one of the things that is interesting is he actually said, if you're going to go, because I asked him, what about in foreign fields? If you go somewhere where they don't know English, he actually argued that you teach them English so that they could read the King James Bible. And and yeah, he said,
3: that's, you, uh, that's a Sam Gipps argument. Yeah, uh, he's sam gibbs a big uh king james only guy that's his argument exactly
0: well and there's those that argue that the english king james bible and and folks i'm saying king james bible not king james version because people that hold to this will call it the king james bible they don't right. think of it as a version this is the bible um right but those that hold to this will say that the king james bible should be used to interpret the greek and hebrew the original language yeah
3: Yep, some of them will do that as well. That was Peter Ruckman's kind of position, yeah. too.
0: So what's the argument against this then, Fred?
3: Well, honestly, as I kind of go, as I as I broke this all down, um, you can look at a few things. Number one, the whole idea of the King James only, the King James alone, King James Bible alone is the Word of God alone. Well, that's a circular argument because you have to sort of assume that to be to be the case so that means that if there's anything else that comes along that challenges that premise or if you find an error or something that cuts against what you think is the word of god well then you've got a problem because immediately it's going to wreck your premise correct so it's already falsified well it's Um, it's
0: it's it's a two two fallacies there. begging the question where you're starting with your conclusion and and then Confirmation bias, where you only accept information that supports your conclusion. Yes,
3: exactly. And then I talked about how you don't really see this taught anywhere, number one, in Scripture, but practiced in the rest of church history. No one thought like that, that they believe that the Bible is God's word. But it, was it compiled and only in one translation that came 1,600 years after the founding of the church or when God's people were, you know, Christianity started flourishing? So that means that any translation before 1611 was not God's word. And then any translation, obviously, that deviates or departs from King James translation is not God's word because it's corrupting it. So there you have a dilemma. So you're you're arguing, and it's almost sort of the same way that Mormons argue with regards to the restoration. If they're going to say that there was no word of God before 1611, you know, if the King James is the only Bible, there was no word of God. It was 1611 was a restoration of God's word because it wasn't in existence or it was exist only in existence in piecemeal fashion or just bits and pieces of it. Um, now King James only and I think that's why I go on, I think in the line of good Bibles or something like that later on in my, uh, other yeah. chapter, they try to trace this, you know, series of Bibles kind of connect them together like a little trail all the way back to, I guess, J- John the Baptist <laughs> or Jesus or whatever. Um, but again, there's just no historical proof of that. I mean, you don't see Christians thinking in those terms. They saw that they had the Word of God, and there was a the Holy Spirit was obviously working within his church in, in order to help them identify or identifying the words of, you know, the scriptures and the books that they were going to preserve. But they're not, like, you know, formulating it in one translation
0: saying this is never to be revised or this is never to be changed. So this is… And, this is very much like Islam, where they would say you have, yeah. you have one trans, you have one copy in Arabic. That's the manuscript is the only one. They ignore all the textual criticism that's being done in Islam to yeah, show that there's yes. variances, but they, they will, they're saying that this is the preserved one. You, you go on from there. And, and I will state this with this exclusive argument that you're making. There is a difference between King James only and only King James. In other words, there are people who prefer the King James. As Fred, you said earlier, right, the King right. James is a more precise language. These and thou, people don't understand today with the use of thee and thou, but there is a proper use of those. It's, you know, now in the modern translations that we'll probably have, you probably can't even say he and she because... We don't know if they identify right. as a he and she, right? But you end up having more precise language. Language has, has de- deteriorated, but King James is more precise in the language, so some people prefer it for that reason. There, we're not right. talking about people that prefer King James. These are people that are saying that King James is the only Bible used because it's it's the inspired one. Right, right. What is that's, the
3: pro- that's, that's the key right there.
0: So, what's the promise argument, and then what is the way we? Well, the to
3: promise it? argument is the idea that they will claim throughout the Bible, um, and you'll notice that I, I quote from D.A. Waite in this that he will say that God has specifically promised to preserve his word. In the Old the old and New Testaments. So when you look at Scripture, there is a promise from God that he's going to preserve his words. And they'll even make a very, um, uh, they'll go into this, uh, how would you say, this uh, argument that it's not just the word of God, but it's the very words, plural, of God. So meaning that as you read Scripture, every word That is in Scripture is to be preserved. So if you lose a word, well, you're losing the word of God. And so they'll go to various passages to, to prove this. But when you look at those passages in context, God's not talking about the preservation of texts of Scripture as much as he's talking about his promise to preserve his people or to to uh, keep his covenant with his people or to do what he's told them that he was going to do he's not talking about physical manuscripts that record you know his revelation as he is my promises to look after you my character it's grounded in his character not a objective physical manuscript so the one that they always go to is and is it psalm 12. Now, uh, verses seven and eight, where it talks about, I will, you know, I. I my word i don't have this text and you have a scripture open. yeah
2: it's what does uh, it say? actually it starts in verse six i think the words of the yeah. lord are pure words, words as silver tried in a furnace yep. on the earth refined seven times you O oh lord will keep them you will preserve him from this generation forever the wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men so they're going to take that whole thing where it's
3: Talks about the words of the Lord are pure words, tried in the furnace of fire like silver, purified seven times. And they'll say that that's talking about the manuscript of the Old and New Testament, the translation of God's word. But when you look at that text, and particularly this comes clear as you get into the Hebrew. And granted, probably, what, 95% of the people listening to this podcast and going to be reading my book are not going to be familiar with Hebrew. Um, We're in an age when we can become familiar with it because of the resources that we've accumulated. But the idea there is that he's talking about a specific group of people. It starts back in verse six, about five and six, where it talks about these people who are being surrounded by the wicked
2: well, the opening, the opening verse of the psalm sets the context yep. um, for what David's talking about. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men.
3: Yeah, uh, it does. He's talking about men who are committed to Scripture, the w- men and women of God who love God. Well, they're being surrounded by the wicked. This is like really a promise for our day and age when we see yeah. the wicked coming in to take our – rights away and to you know mess with our freedoms in america all of these i don't want to turn that into like (laughs) (laughs) you know pro-trump thing but there's some truth to that the the men and women of this church are failing and falling and are giving into compromise to this insidious you know critical race theory and all of the other things coming in well god says look my words are true words i have promised to preserve them he's going to preserve a remnant that's the point of the passage exactly i'm going to protect them and keep them from the wicked who strut about it has nothing to do with him preserving
0: the text of scripture (laughs) manuscripts you know i I was talking with mike riddle i don't know him from <clears throat> Creation Training Institute. Yep, I'm familiar with him. Yeah. We we're talking you know, so many of these issues we have today are answered just with hermeneutics. I mean, this is the reason that Striving yeah. Fraternity focuses so much on that with our Bible Interpretation Made Easy seminar and all the stuff on hermeneutics because that's all you have to do a lot of these times is read in context. Right. Let's let's yeah. move on to the textual argument. <clears throat>
3: You, okay, that's my longest, most convoluted.
0: Yeah, and and that's the one where you have this thing of have the heretics corrupted the Bible, and and with yeah, this, I
3: added that I added that as a as an excursus, I guess, as yeah, an additional
0: chapter because this yes. is an argument that so many make. But and I I look at this and when I was reading this, it's like this is the Latter Day Saint argument. I mean, it right, really right. is. Yes, the the Bible has been corrupted. You have to interpret it, and and the more the you know. Islam says the same thing. The Bible was corrupted, and that's why we have the Quran. Latter-day Saints, the Bible was corrupted. It's not translated properly. That's why we have the Book of Mormon. They always add to it and, and say it's been corrupted. But the, the thing is, is, this is, the Bible has been corrupted, so we have the KJV. But, right. you know, we have the Greek and Hebrew, and they, some, not all KJV only, will say, even the Greek and Hebrew, you can't trust,
3: Right, yeah, I know. Um, and there may be some truth to that if we look at some Jewish groups who tried to change the Septuagint to, or the they didn't like the Septuagint, so they tried to adjust the vowel pointings to try to take away the prophecies about Christ. But I mean, honestly, it doesn't. It, there's not enough of that to diminish the fact that God preserved His Word. Um, you can see that. You can discover those. Problems. So the textual argument basically is saying the King James Only is claim that only the manuscripts from which the translation of the King James came are the preserved Word of God. So in the Old Testament, I can't remember the the exacts. It's the Bomberg Second Edition Masoretic text, I believe it was. Is that's the one that D.A. Wade in in, uh, in particular um, has identified. As the true uh, old and Old Testament that we need to translate from, because that's the one that the King James used, and it is the uh, received text. The um, I can't uh, that, of course, the received text went through many editions, but it's the one that. Um, hold on, let me turn off my phone. You can <laughs> edit
0: this part out. And for folks who who are watching on Patreon, they recognize that you know. That your dedication. This is this is clearly. Fred is up early. It is o dark thirty where he's at, and he he's yeah. so excited about his his new book coming out that he was like, "Hey, I will record with you guys at six in the morning, my time." Yeah, the because- sun
3: is just now coming through the
0: windows. Roosters the are
3: crowing. <laughs> um. But, yeah, the textual argument, But he's arguing that the Old Testament and the New Testament texts, the received texts in the New Testament that uh, Desider- Desiderius Erasmus, again, I'm butchering his first name, um, Erasmus uh, basically put together for his work um, is the the translate or the uh, text that preserve the word of God, because that's the base text that the King James used, the King James translators use to give us the King James. That's not entirely true. They did use previous English editions in order to help with their, their translation process. As we were mentioning earlier about William Tyndale, it's the same thing. Um, but I think the key really to all of this, and I go into a lot of detail about how we got our Bible, some, I highlight some resources that people can do some further study on if they want to get some more info on that. But I think what's really important is what you just mentioned a little bit before that. And we've talked to some is the whole concept of that. What we see with the other, other texts from which um, modern versions sort of rely upon, which is another family of manuscripts that are older in age and circulation as the manuscripts that gave us the old Testament and new Testament for the King James. I hope people are following this. Um, those they claim that have been corrupted by heretics. And usually the argument goes along the lines of, well, those nobody used those texts until the 18th, hundreds, And that's when they started translating. That's when all the liberals in Germany started translating from them and creating our new versions and all that sort of thing. And because if they had been really God's preserved word, well, those those um, Christians would have kept them in circulation and they would have used them and utilized them. Well, that's not the case at all. I mean, most of those manuscripts were in North Africa. And what happened to North Africa in six or seven hundred eighty? <laughs> you had the Muslims come in there and kill all the Christians.
0: Yeah, you know one, well, it, you <laughs> one of the things a lot of people don't even know. There's a great book. I think it's titled uh, "How the Irish Saved uh, Civilization." Yeah, I've, I heard think. Of, I've
3: heard about. I've heard about that. And, yes, and,
0: and it's like how all these these you know these early manuscripts from the early church fathers weren't <clears throat> were there in Ireland, and when the Reformation right. came. the the Catholic church so corrupted stuff that they went to Ireland and saw the older manuscripts, but right.
3: You know, and it didn't say what they did People who were currently handling those things were saying about them. But if people don't have,
0: if people don't have all the history, I mean, it could be a lot to go through understanding all what you're going through. Is what would be a good argument? How do we respond to the textual argument?
3: Well, if you're going to say that heretics corrupted your Bible, um, you can it, you just simply see, number one, are you telling me that God is going to allow his word to become so corrupted that it's going to be lost so that it has to be rediscovered? I mean, it's, just, it's like what you're saying. It's the same argument that every major cult usually uh, tries to argue. And I And I point out in that chapter on the heretics is that when you have – Critics of Scripture, all of them, without fail, argue that the we don't, we can't know what the Bible says because it's been lost to time, it's been uh, corrupted. That everyone says that. That's what Bar Ehrman is saying these days: is that you can't know what the Bible says. And, but when you go and evaluate their arguments for that, it's not true. A lot of it comes back to what you were saying. If you just read the Bible in its context, there's not a there's not corruption there. <laughs> there's some, probably just some other misunderstanding of the text, or they just don't want to believe it. There's no corruption with regards to the, you know, the creation week, or you know, Jesus being born in Bethlehem or whatever it is. It's just they're claiming that because they want to strip it of its supernatural elements that God does do miracles, that he does bring prophecy to come to pass. And you know you just need to begin by just showing how in history that's never been the case just having a surface level understanding of how the early apologists dealt with all of these critics i mean these critics have been around since within before the 2nd century of the church you had apologists arguing with jews and other Critics of scripture saying, Well, you've created the Bible's been corrupted or the scriptures have been twisted or yeah. so. This isn't a new argument, then you're saying this is an old it's argument. Not a, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a new argument, it's an old argument. Yeah, King so, James only is only apply it to their Bible, and then they'll show you a big list of comparison passages. Well, see, right here, this verse is, reads this and this Bible, and well, that gets into the purity different argument. Different then Bible.
0: that some it's of that, that gets into the purity argument
3: yeah they'll so, claim so that let's look the, let's
0: look at that argument that you have the purity argument the good the line of good Bibles
3: so what they're gonna say is that when it comes to the English well I should start by saying that King James only us, uh different King James onlyus will have different Bibles that come into their line of good Bibles so what they'll claim is that you can trace back the development of the of textual criticism through the Old Testament or through the Bible translations that have existed prior or right after the church, prior to the, um, you know, the apostolic age or so forth. So they'll talk about the Pachetta and the Vulgate and all of these Bibles. And they'll say that with each subsequent translation from the original languages, God was purifying and preserving his word. You can trace back sort of this, hand of God guiding and, and directing, you know, through these lines of Bible so that we eventually come to the capstone, which is the uh, King James Bible. But the problem with that again, is that the lot, the list is not consistent. Um, There's sometimes you have to sort of do some overreach with regards to, um, I guess you could say, uh, you know, which translation is going to fit into which trans you know, which which line or whatever. So for instance, somebody will get the Latin Vulgate, but the Latin Vulgate was Roman Catholic, you know, Catholics had that. Well why are you going to put the Latin Latin Vulgate in your and then they'll say, "Well, it's the old Latin Vulgate." Okay, well, I mean, the old Latin Vulgate and the Latin Vulgate are kind of similar, <laughs> and so and then the Catholics are the ones who handled that. So, how exactly does that? Are you saying it got we had to burn that Catholic dross off with all the new English translations? Um, I also asked them, "Will it include any kind of revision?" So, for example, the 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 um, Geneva translation went through multiple revisions in between its initial translation and eventually it's being displaced really by the use of the King James among the English people. Um, Do any of those revisions, there's like one hundred and twenty five of them, I believe, from 1550s until the late 1600s do any of those count to your line? Of, Cause that's 125 instead of seven, because they're putting that, remember that passage in Psalm 12 where it talks about being purified by silver seven, seven times, times or whatever so. they'll claim that that's a promise that you can identify these seven steps to get to the King James. Well, um, you
2: make the point. One, one of the other things that you've, you've to quote you Uh, on the purity argument, these guys that will start with the the quote, good line uh right, right. beginning with when William Tyndale's translations. And you say if the good line begins with William Tyndale's translations, there are roughly 31 various translations published in English before King right. James. Yeah, so that's
3: correct. <laughs> which one of these are you talking about? I know. And they'll take the ones that were the most popular and probably used in churches, like the Bishop's Bible the and the Matthew's Bible. Bible. Yeah. And, You know, all of these other little minor translations that kind of fell out of use or didn't get much circulation because of the authorities clamping down and keeping them from being circulated. Um, The German Bible, you know, Luther's Bible. I mean, why are those not?
0: And that's exactly what you have in Islam, though, right? You had all these you had these different. These different translations of the Quran, yeah. and they clamped down and burned all the other ones, and said, "Nope, yeah, this the, is the, the only uh, one."
3: The youthman or, or Uthman or whatever his Uthman. name was Uthman Uthman. Yep, and he's like, "Look, we're going to do these translations." And when
0: you're when you're in control, when you run, when the church runs the government or the government runs the church, you can do those sort of things. There's two right. more arguments that we have. Um, you know, the scholarship argument, historical argument. So let's start with scholarship. What is that argument? How do we respond to it?
3: The scholarship one? Well, the scholarship argument is that the guys who translated the Bible were the greatest translators that ever lived. That's kind of how they yeah, every King James Only book will have some chapter where it just heaps all of this gushing praise on the greatness of these translators, which I'm not going to fault them. They were great translators, but they had their faults just like every other human being who's ever existed um they had their problems and there's and even though they might have a you know might be great scholars they're no more better than any other scholar who's come along
0: and uh try to offer up a translation of scripture it's almost and, the, the, it's almost as if no one has ever done this work afterwards like no one did right. it before and no one's done it after yeah, like these, this is the only time in history
3: I, I know, and it's like, and well, these guys were, they had some kind, they were endued with some kind of, you know, special anointing from God. I mean, they almost put them into an apostolic sort of uh, framework where it's like these guys are inspired to do what they did, but they were political animals just like King James was giving them, to you know, kind of shaping that for them. The um, I, I mentioned in my book how Andrew... Uh, Bishop Andrews, I believe, it was, or Lancelot Andrews is the one who was sort of behind having some heretics burned because, you know, King James only has always go after Calvinists because Calvin has Servetus burned or, you know, that's kind of what they argue. And But these guys were involved in similar kind of instances. There was when one case was a Baptist guy who was teaching heresy, and I think the guy was legitimately teaching heresy, but they were behind him getting burned at the stake. I mean – they had character flaws just like everybody else had character flaws. And this is, I think one guy was, um, I can't remember which translator it was, but he was constantly in debt because he would buy stuff that he couldn't, you know, couldn't afford. And he eventually had to like sell off his entire library in order to pay off all of his debts and everything. I mean, they had all these problems just like everyone else. It doesn't disqualify them from giving us a great translation, but to see them as some sort of you know link to this is why we should read the King James because these are the greatest scholars ever. And that's just fundamentally flawed, and it's the same with the historical argument. Um, we mentioned this a little bit too um, previously: is that the King James was primarily a political work. It was to it was designed and meant to give us a a. Um, You know, to placate these various groups in Anglicanism to keep them from fighting and to give King James, this, you know, the authority that he needs to sort of oversee his church that he claimed he had Um, this idea that the Bible was carried to the Americas and around the world with King James. Well, that was true after the, you know, the great missionary thrust in the uh, 1700s. But early on, when the pilgrims and the Puritans started coming to America at the, because King James was persecuting them, yeah. and they would come across the United States to the United States. They brought with them the Geneva Bible. They didn't like the King James. I mean, even if you go, I mean, you're up, you're, over there in Pennsylvania, if you've ever been to one of those little colonial reenactment places, they'll use the Geneva Bible as their base text because they're trying to play like their original colonists. And I don't think the King James really came into use in the in, until like the 1700s in the colonies, like the time around when George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards were here. And that's a good hundred years or so because all the Puritans hated the King James because it's connected to King James. The reason why they got ran out of their country.
0: And yeah. So. I mean, this is, this is where history helps, right? I mean, it, right. it, it really is important for people to understand history. And right. it, it's, it's, it's always amazing to me that people don't quite recognize that, you know, everything has a historical setting and, and these things play into it. Right. You know?
3: Yeah. And so, when you understand, uh, when you uh, just, you know, uh, uh, I, I, people, I I just want to encourage folks, you know, stop being lazy, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Read some stuff. Do some research. Get away, get some trusted people that you can listen to who's going to tell you something different than what, you know, these King James only apologists you've, you know, you've gathered around yourself because they've, they're, they're not telling you the honest stuff. Get folks who have, you know, actually kind of dug into this and, you know, look at what they have to say. Look at what, how God has really preserved his word. Because I think ultimately, as I mentioned in my conclusion, if we're going to say that God's word is only contained in one translation then God's a very weak and limited god.
2: Yeah. And yeah, we just right. don't
3: see that. We see God providing I think the church a you know because he spread the manuscripts particularly of the New Testament far and wide it preserves his word because you don't have that one Uthman guy be able to gather up all the texts. Yeah. And to control exactly. what the Bible says. Exactly. And you know, it's probably was good that King James didn't know about the earlier manuscripts because he probably would have squashed them or they would have something would have happened where you couldn't have access to them. And the reason why we got access to them after, you know, during the fall of the Ottoman Empire and the Europeans were able to get into North Africa and start digging through some of these old monasteries and find these texts. Is because um, you know, they just had a totally different hey, we want to find a way to answer these heretics that are coming up and are criticizing the Bible. I mean, again, it was that, that was their motivation. You had higher critics saying that scriptures was corrupted and we need to reread it a certain way. Well, they were like, Well, that's not what the Bible says. We gotta find earlier manuscripts and what we got. And so when they were able to like scour the, you know, monasteries and the previously strongholds of the Muslim empire, they were finding these manuscripts that contradicted what was coming out of, out of Germany and out of these, yeah. you know, demonic birdhouses of, you know, liberal higher criticism. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. yeah it's so, well, and, and, and this is the thing, I mean, for folks who are, who are struggling with this, because there are some, and uh, you know we we're aware of of that. You you would have said how you struggled with this. You know when you were in seminary, this is something where a, a, what I find is there are a lot of people who are involved in this. They are struggling with it, be, and a lot of it. I, I'm I'm hesitating because I I know if there's someone listening, they they take it the wrong way, but it is prideful, and I I'm not trying to be mean with it. It's just. When, and, and Fred, maybe you could talk to this as a wrap-up, but yeah, when, oh, yeah, when yeah, yeah. you are studying this, and it, I don't care if you, if it's flat earth, King James onlyism, charismatic Calvinism, whatever your your ilk might be, there is a pride that Christians can have where they study something and they, they act as if, well, I know something more than the next guy. There's something where I, I'm more spiritual because I know this, whatever the, this is. In this case, it would be the King James Bible as being inspired, but... There's a pride that I see often with this, with many people. And
3: if you could speak to that. Well, yeah, because you have this, you get into this mindset that I know something that no one else knows, and I am become the messenger. I am the oracle that now must proclaim the truth to those people who do not have ears to hear. And I need to be prepared to you know, to go forth and to present to them the truth. And I mean, it's almost a Gnostic sort of heresy in some ways. I've got something that you don't know and I want to tell you, you know, and and it, you're right exactly what you're saying. And that's how I behaved is like I had some kind of higher knowledge. And if you don't have the higher knowledge like me, well, then you're going to be, you know, somehow crippled or, you know, stunted in your growth. If you didn't have God's we don't have you don't really have God's word. You have one of these modern perversions that's, you know, telling you something that's wrong about Jesus, not like my Bible. But that's not the case. I mean, that when you look at the facts, your secret knowledge is really kind of bogus. (laughs) That's the problem. But you're right. It had you could be found in anything, even though I believe Calvinism is the
0: truth. Yeah, we there call, call it cage presented. stage, right? What's that, that, we that call again? it cage stage, and that's yeah. that's the same thing. That's that pride. And
3: with Calvin, is, I was the same way when I became a person. When I saw the truth of limited atonement and that Christ was dying for a people and rescuing them and all the extent of the atonement or whatever, and I nailed that doctrine down in my head, I mean, I, was, I want to argue with everyone about it. Well, that's just you don't want to argue with people about it. I mean, scripture is very clear that, you know, these things you need to teach with patience and admonishing error, but lovingly, you know, leading someone through the truth, basically, is what you do. It's not a matter of trying to bludgeon them over the head with what you think is right until they submit. Okay, okay, I'll be a Calvinist
2: or whatever. It's like, no,
3: (laughs) you want them, you want the Holy Spirit to work in their lives because he
2: worked in your life. So we're not trying to convert people to Calvinism. We're no, trying to convert people to
3: Christ. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's, that's exactly we want to say. that. Yeah, and, if you convert and, and them
2: to see, Christ, you'll be a Calvinist.
0: But, but that you know, is that life. is the thing that you see with the Calvinism, you see it with Charismatics, you see it in this case with King James only, is, you know, the Charismatics call it a second blessing. You get right, saved right. and then when you get more spiritual, you get the second blessing. In Calvinism, we hear it called as this cage stage. You get saved and then you learn about the doctrines of grace and you got to tell everyone. It's the same thing with KJV. You get saved and then you find out the King James Bible is like the only one you should have. And people study that and get all into making an argument for the KJV instead of making an argument for Christ. No different than making an argument for Calvinism rather than making the argument for Christ. Same thing with tongues. And I think it's a distraction. I think it's, it's, it ends up feeding our pride. And if, You know, one of the ways people can recognize it is you've laid out here in this podcast and in your book, which I encourage everyone to get, go get a copy of Royal Deceptions by Fred Butler, but... Actually, in fact, get a couple because you're probably going to have some friends that need it, and you want to get it right away to get the the uh, you know. know classic edition, the one with the typos in it, so you one can say you typos, have man. one. <clears throat> I've
3: Correct this next week, and yeah.
0: So next week, so you know, actually, it may be too late. The Patreons will have it, <laughs> yeah, but but the, the thing is, get this book. You're you do run into people that believe this, but if if you're a person who you're listening to this and you're just gritting your teeth at everything that's been said. You're upset with what you're hearing. It it could be that you're the one that needs to hear it the most because a lot of times pride is a blinding thing. And we we can be blinded by it. And one of the things that pride does is when we have an argument that's wrong, it doesn't listen. Look, if you believe your argument is good, you should be able to listen to Fred and hear him, hear his arguments and counter them. Not just reject them out of hand. (laughs) Because <laughs> if you reject it out of hand, it, it could be your pride speaking, not the truth speaking. Just a thought for you.
3: Well, there are some King James onlyists. I know they're out there, and they're going to watch this. I have answered him. I've been on these discussion groups with him, and I gave him tons of articles, and he didn't want to listen to them. And now I'm like, okay, whatever, dude. And so I know that they're there. <laughs> yeah, so but you're right.
0: So Fred, any, any last things you want to say, other than encouraging everybody? to go and get get a copy well, of your book. I
3: mean, obviously, that, that would be wonderful if you would. It would be encouraging to me. I want it to be a tool that you can be It's useful uh, in, in, uh, in your hands and just to make you think rightly about God's revelation. He has given us a revelation. He's given it to us. It has been preserved. It's pre- been preserved accurately, and he has used the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of his redeemed people Throughout the the history of the Old Testament and the New Testament to give us His Word, and it's canonized, and it's you can hold it in our hands, and He has allowed us to translate it and to to uh, disseminate it across the world. So the Bible you hold in the, in your hands, um, even if it is one of these paltry sort of bad translations that I don't necessarily recommend, God is. God's word is there. It speaks and it convicts hearts. And it is, that's what we use to bring people to the saving knowledge of Christ is God's word. And he has seen fit that English people and Spanish speaking people, everyone has a copy of his revelation and he have access to that information. It's not hidden. It's not any heretics trying to hide it from you in some clandestine way that you can't find. It's not trying to sneak in error that you're going to be, um, you know, confused by, or, you know, unwittingly discover. I mean, that's never happened, but God's word is, it's there. It's true. You can trust it and we need to believe it. That's, that's really the battle really is not on so much the inerrancy of scripture today. It is, is is it sufficient? And I believe it is, and we can hold it in our hands and we can believe it and proclaim it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, for folks, I mean, I encourage you again: get the book, "Royal Deceptions" by Fred Butler on Amazon.com. It's available in Kindle and print version. For folks who are watching on the Patreon, if you go to the very back of the book about the author, you'll see Fred in his fedora, which is why we're wearing <laughs> our fedoras. Um, yeah. But Freddie
3: oh, got but my wife is still asleep.
0: Yes. So, <laughs> so, but Fred, it's always it's always a joy getting together with you in person or this way on podcasts. Uh, for folks who don't know, Fred has a, a great sense of humor, uh, full of knowledge. You know, I was talking to someone this morning, a mutual friend that we have, Fred, and we, because at our church, the, the elders get together at 600, you know, oh, dark 30, where you're at. Well, yes. when it, that was our time, we, yeah. we get up for prayer in the morning on Saturday morning. So we were praying and, and we we're talking, and, <clears throat> and I had mentioned that I was going to be, you know, interviewing you and in your new book. And, it was funny cause you know, one of the guys was like, you know, just don't picture Fred writing books. You know, it's like, you know, you're, you're this, you're this, <laughs> I and and that was, you may not be, way. you may not be from the South, but, You know, it's like I I said, yeah, Fred's like this guy that just, he seems like he's from the South, just laid back, kind of hillbilly, kind of sounding guy. And then he starts talking. Yeah, and then he starts (laughs) talking or you start reading his writing and it's like, dude has some information. I mean, like there's just, it's brilliance that comes out of you. And when people talk to you, it's like you're like this laid back kind of guy, like every easy going. And yet you have your finger on like, Everything like if I, if there's a problem if there's like someone that is going awry in Christianity it's like Fred knows <laughs> Fred's yeah. up on it.
2: <laughs> my after, uh, after reading this, how is Fred not writing more books? Okay, well that's so the my, question. My next project, um, and this here we go, an exclusive here
0: on the rap
1: Report.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my. Uh, no. My next project is supposed to be on Ezekiel's temple. Is oh. it literal or is it spiritual? Ooh. And the reason why I say that I did write some articles on that. at, at my blog. Um, I would like to go in some more detail about that, but it's uh, Mike Riccardi saw me at uh, work and he was asking me about my book and he said, well, you know what you need to do is you need to do that stuff on Ezekiel's temple, put that in print. I'm like, really? He goes, oh man, every time someone asks me about that, I send them to your blog articles because you're the only one who's really written on that. Well, I noticed some other people have written on that topic, but um, I try to make the information accessible and try to work through the problem. So that's my, I mean, this next year, I'm going to be trying to, go through that material and um, I've got to get some material on Ezekiel, some commentaries, start revisiting that a little bit because I'd like to punch that stuff up. And cause I believe that there, I believe it's a real temple. It's not some kind of his, some kind of weird vision about the church or whatever. Um, I would like to just sort of, go into that so we'll see how that goes we can do another wrap report about that
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that would be good <laughs> okay so to yeah. to wrap up though uh just let folks know if you are in jacksonville area i will be speaking in jacksonville uh I guess see actually, I think by the time this drops, but I may be in at Jacksonville, so maybe too late to mention yeah. mention that. But, but I'll be in Jacksonville uh, at Christ Reformed Community Church on December 13th. Uh, December uh, 19th and 20th, I will be in uh, Orlando area, and that is going to be doing the uh, just, social justice seminar at Bethula Baptist Church. And so you could check that out. And be if you're in that area, please let us know. Again, if you wouldn't mind writing a review, there is a link in the show notes to write us a review. Let us know what you enjoy, don't enjoy. We want to hear from you. We speak into a microphone, Bud and I, each week. And Bud and I get to see each other, but we don't get to see you. We don't get to hear your story. Uh, we will. We do respond to feedback, and I will say that uh, we did a couple episodes on wearing masks or not wearing masks. We got feedback. Uh, it's not that I'm ignoring it. We want to get Andrew Smith back on. We want to respond with him to some questions that got asked about wearing masks. So we may or may not do a whole another episode on that. But there, there's we're going to at least respond to that. We may do a, a just a response. Uh, episode where we respond to several questions that we get in. We may get some questions in for Fred, so we may have to have him in to answer. Oh, I'd be happy to do that. That'd
1: be great. <laughs> so if if
0: you have yeah if you have questions for me, you could always contact us at info at strivingforeternity dot org. Info at strivingforeternity dot org is the website. So we're glad that you you listen. Hope this has been helpful to you. If you have found value in this, if these podcasts are helpful, would you do us a couple of things? We already asked, would you write us a review? But would you consider sharing it? The best way to get others to know about it is when people share it. Reviews actually don't help in, in getting yourself out there as a podcaster. It's actually people sharing it and subscribing. The other thing that if we ask if you find value in this, if you wouldn't mind supporting us, go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate. You can do a one-time donation or help us out with monthly donations. We are looking to try, We because of COVID, we had to cancel some of our international trips. We're starting up again, but we're looking to get to India this year. We are still looking to try to get to—well, uh, um, I guess we're flying into Mexico, but going to be going south to Guatemala. Um, so we're trying to get to Guatemala. That is Guatemala is going to be t- more focused toward training pastors. That'll be Justin Peters and I trying to get there. India is going to be, I think they think there's 75 churches that are trying to work together that we're working with out there. Justin Peters and I are doing that. We're also looking to try to get to Japan to lead a team for the Olympics. So if you could help with that support, all those things, by the way, none of those, whether we're going to Guatemala or to India or to Japan, none of that is being covered by the churches that are there. We are paying our own way out there. This, this is some of what we do, so if you want to help us get to these places, we're going to try to bring a team of people to the Olympics in, in Japan to evangelize during that time. It's, a, it's where the entire world comes to one place. Uh, it is a great opportunity to get the gospel out, and we've done this in, in different places, in the UK and others. So if you want to help us get there, we would greatly appreciate it. Go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate. And you know what, bud? What? That's a wrap.
1: This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon.